0: Time It was the lights were low. I leaned back on my radio. Some cat was laying down some rock and roll. A lot of suicides. So then the loud sound did seem to fade. Came back like a slow voice on a wave of fades. There weren't no DJs. There was hazy cosmic jive There's a star man waiting in the sky he liked to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a star man waiting in the sky He told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's all worthwhile let the children hear it, let the children use it, let all the children boogie.
1: Now, Vince's mom and dad are here. I don't know why he picks these songs for the offertory. Has he always been like this? Now, actually, Actually, Vince played that because I asked him to. Because it it reminded, that song reminds me of what we read last week. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet you, but he thinks he'd blow your mind. There's a star man, blah, 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 blah. And uh, tells us not to blow it. Uh, Thinks it's all worthwhile. He told me, let the children lose it. Let the children use it. Let all the children boogie. (laughs) Great song. Last week, we read this in Revelation chapter one. John sees Jesus, remember? With seven stars in his right hand and a face shining like the sun in full strength. I don't know about you, but the sun is my favorite star. John sees Jesus, it blows his mind, and he drops to the ground as if dead. Last week, we wondered, is John dreaming? In other words, is this vision just a dream, or is this world the dream? And John is like waking up from the dream, waking to reality. If this world is a dream, then waking up from it would be downright apocalyptic.
2: Our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
0: Yeah, like I'm discovering it.
2: Genuine inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously. And our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. Well, dreams... They feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You, You never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on.
0: I guess, yeah.
2: So how did we end up here?
0: Well, we just came from the, uh...
2: Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now?
0: Dreaming? You're
2: actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. It's never just a dream, is it? And a face full of glass hurts like hell. When you're in it, it feels real.
1: If this world is a dream, then waking up from this world would be downright apocalyptic. I mean, the sky might roll up like a scroll. The stars might fall from the heaven. Waking up would be downright apocalyptic from the perspective of the dream world. But from the perspective of the waking world, it might look something more like this. Now let's go deeper. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to preach. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel, his messenger, to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time, the kairos, is near, Egas at hand. The time is at hand, God's time, eternity, is pressing in on our temporality, our chronology. In fact, in chapter 10, the angel stands on the land and seas and swears, Kronos will be no more. The time is at hand. And Jesus came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is the dominion of Of the king. Last week we talked about flatland. And you remember I held up flatland like an inch from from my face, from my body, and I said, Behold, King Peter is at hand. And and that was true. At every point in space and time uh, in, in flatland. At hand means at hand. The king is at hand whether you see him or not. A few years ago, on my day off, my son Coleman and I, we went over to the new Home Depot they're building by Quincy. They were building by Quincy in 470, and I dared Coleman. I think he was kind of junior high at the time. I dared him to crawl with me up the cement sewer pipes underneath the Home Depot, and so of course he did it. And and we we crawled. I remember it was some. It was like a couple hundred yards and, and pitch black. And at one point. I crawled ahead of Coleman in the tubes, and then I just sat there in silence. And I heard him say, Dad, where are you? And I didn't answer, and then he said it louder, Dad, where are you? And then he started screaming, Dad, this isn't funny! Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I was like literally like an inch from his face. (laughs) He screamed, where are you, Dad? And then I just let it go silent. And I said, hey Coleman, blew his mind, just blew his mind, it was, it was awesome, awesome. <laughs> I think most folks like the idea of God somewhere, right? But not literally at hand. One day I was working out in the gym next to this guy, like for an hour, working out to some, next to some guy, and I'm lying on the bench press, and I remember he was sitting next to me or something, and he said, so Peter, how are your kids doing? Duh! I didn't know that he knew me. He turned out to be some guy from church or something. I didn't know uh, that, that he, 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 he knew me. I, I didn't want him to be that at hand. That's freaky. I'm cool working out next to just people, just general people, but a person who knows me that I don't know or knows that no, that's just freaky. Blew, blew my mind. H.G. Wells told a story about a pious clergyman who would pontificate to thousands uh, on a regular basis. He didn't pray much, though, because, well, he basically understood things, and he had things under control. But this one night, he decided to pray, because he told other people to pray. So he went down to the front of the church, got down on his knees, and he said, Oh, Lord. And then clear and crisp, he heard a voice. Well, what is it? Blew his mind! Congregation found him the next morning, dead body on the floor in front of the sanctuary. First time I ever saw a demonic spirit cast out of a person 35 years ago at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, I really wasn't stressed about the the demon. I remember being surprised at this. That really didn't stress me out. But Jesus, the word of God in flesh, who obviously bound it and drove it out, and knew my every thought, I didn't want his kingdom to be that at hand blows my mind Jesus came preaching repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand that means repent the king is at hand but I'm not so sure that we want the king of kings to be that at hand know what I mean Seems to me that liberal Christians are cool with God being large as long as he's vague. So, God is love and light and way and truth and life, but love, light, way, truth, and life are not really, this is not a person, but principles, ideas, values, forces. You see, with science and technology, we can harness forces and use them for our purposes. So Jesus is the Savior, but He doesn't actually save us. We apply His principles and His values uh, to us, and so save us with Him, using Him. Liberals like a God that's large, as long as He's vague and impersonal, but not a person at hand. Conservatives like a God that's personal and well-defined as long as we can keep him, you know, in a box. (laughs) Small and in a box. Our box, our temple, our tribe, under our control. It's like Ricky Bobby says in Talladega Nights, I like the baby Jesus best. (laughs) We like a God that we can keep in our manger, in our barn. And if he gets out, what will we do? Well, we'll try to nail him down like to a tree, he can be the savior of the people we tell him to save. <laughs> but not whomever he wants to save, like tax collectors, prostitutes, or, or Romans, he can't save them because he's supposed to save us from them. That's why we want his kingdom to come because it's really our kingdom. He can be a hand as long as he stays in the box. And Jesus said, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, listen closely, does not mean try harder. Repent means change your noose, metanoia, change your, change your mind, change your mind. You think the kingdom is not here, and so you try to make it come with politics and power, but the kingdom is at hand. Repent. You think that the king is not here because he won't fit in your box, but he's standing right in front of you. Repent. You think you're the king and God should serve your kingdom. You're dreaming a very, very dark dream. Repent. Wake up. Repent. The religious leaders did not repent and grew furious with Jesus, for he wouldn't take up arms against the Romans and make their kingdom come. They did not repent, and so they crucified the king and missed the kingdom. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we're like just the same. We didn't like the king or his kingdom the first time around. So we imagine the kingdom and the king to be pretty different the second time around. He's coming. He's coming. You know, the Bible ends with the great apocalypsis, the great unveiling, the revelation. It's the unveiling of Jesus. But it's the very same Jesus. It's John's best friend, Jesus. The lamb doesn't change into the lion as if he's no longer the lamb. The whole point is that the lion is and always was the lamb. The, the Bible ends with the great apocalypsis, and it begins with the great cataclysm, the great veiling. And you remember how it happened. Satan tempted the Adam with a lie. He he said, you will not surely die if you take of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, for your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He tempted them, he tempted humanity, with the dream of our own sovereignty. God had said Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let us make them kings because God is the king, right? Let us make them in our own image, in our own likeness. Satan tempted man saying, you can make yourself in God's image. Make yourself the king. Just take the life of the good hanging on the tree in the middle of the garden. God spoke his word, and Satan tempted the Adam to reject God's word. Now we know that God's word is Jesus, and the name means God is salvation. Satan tempted Adam and Eve to renounce God is salvation and believe we are salvation, or I am salvation. So God said, let us make man, and man said, no thanks, we'll make ourselves. Satan tempted humanity with the dream of their own sovereignty. And once they acted on the temptation, they could no longer bear the presence of the sovereign who was at hand. Remember, he he, he went walking in the garden in the cool of the day, calling to the man and the woman saying, where are you? But they had covered themselves and hid. They were veiled, cataclypto. It means to cover with a veil, like a woman is veiled and then unveiled by her groom on her wedding day. Paul writes that the minds of all unbelievers have been veiled, calypto, to the glory of the gospel, which is Jesus, our bridegroom. Adam and Eve made clothes and hid. They they veiled themselves. They were already dead cut off from the life who came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, for he wanted to be with them. Humanity, his, his bride. They were already dead, for they would not and then could not see Jesus, who is God walking in a garden. You remember that God kicked them out of the garden so they would no longer take life from the tree in the middle of the garden. He placed two cherubim to guard the way to the tree of life. Jesus is the life. And the Word of God. You may also remember that the Word of God would rest on the Ark of the Covenant between two cherubim. And when we sleep, oh, I should say this on the Ark of the Covenant between two cherubim behind a veil. And when we sleep, our mind is veiled, right? It's veiled to reality. When we wake, it's like the sky rolls up, the stars fall from the sky in our dream world. We wake to the reality that is at hand. Or who is at hand? We're unveiled, uh, apocalypto. We we see this is the point. When you dream that you are salvation, you cannot see God is salvation. Who is Jesus, and he is the life. In other words, you're dead even if you dream that you're alive. So Paul writes, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So death is our dream, even if in our dream we dream that we're alive. Death is our dream, which God has allowed us to dream for a time, for a space and a time. And maybe hell, or at least Hades, is to be trapped in that dream. That is, trapped in a, a veiled mind, and unrepentant mind, a mind dreaming of its own sovereignty. You know, at first, we may like our dreams, but soon our dreams become troubled and turn into nightmares. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis asks an angel, Are heaven and hell only states of mind? Hush, says the angel, do not blaspheme. Hell is a state of mind. You never said a truer word. And every state of mind left to itself, every shutting up of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind is in the end hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality itself. The choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. The whole difficulty in understanding hell is that the thing to be understood is so nearly nothing. A damned soul is nearly nothing. It is shrunk, shut up in itself. Good beats upon the damned incessantly as sound waves beat on the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched, their teeth are clenched, their eyes fast shut. First they will not, in the end they cannot open their hands for gifts or their mouths for food, or their eyes to see, then no one can reach them?" asked Lewis. Only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter hell. Only one has descended into hell. And will he ever do so again? All moments that have been or shall be were or are present in the moment of his descending. There is no spirit in prison— And we've all been spirits in prison. There is no spirit in prison to whom he did not preach. So death and Hades are the dream of our own sovereignty. And fear is the desperate desire to keep dreaming. For what do we fear but the loss of our dreams, right? The loss of control. We fear the death of death. In other words, we fear the life, and Jesus is the life. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. But we don't repent, for we trust the illusion of our own control. We trust our dreams, and we're terrified to wake up, for we don't know what or who we will wake up to. We trust our dreams, and we're terrified of God's dream, eternal life. Revelation 3, verse 3, the time is at hand. John to the seven churches that are in Asia grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Later we'll find out that these are the seven eyes of the Lamb. The seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Firstborn of, the, firstborn of all creations, writes, writes Paul, all creation, and firstborn from, from the dead, which clearly implies that none of us are entirely created. If Jesus was the firstborn, right, of all creation, firstborn from the dead. And it implies that all of us might actually be kind of, well, yeah, dead. Only dreaming that we're alive. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Uh, The Greek's very clear. The ruler of the kings on earth. ESV translators just took out the word the. It's crazy. And you can see why. He doesn't seem to be the ruler of Kim Jong-un, right? or guys like Adolf Hitler, and we wonder, we wonder about Donald Trump. We think at best Jesus is the ruler of some of the kings on earth, only kind of. But John writes, ruler of the kings on earth, ruler of the kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. No one seems to be free in the Revelation except Jesus and seven little churches to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom some ancient manuscripts read made us kings made us kings well depending on how you chapter understand chapter 20 the revelation is very clear that we either are kings or will be kings who reign on earth with jesus kings don't dream of being sovereign they are sovereign they're free But the kings of the earth are ruled by Jesus, and Jesus makes us kings, free. First, it's just kind of crazy stuff. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us kings, or a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come the almighty if god is almighty that means that you are like not at all mighty unless, of course, God is, like, mighty in you. But anything other than that, just a dream. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, the suffering, and the kingdom, the sovereignty— Crazy stuff. I, John, your brother, partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Do you, do you see how weird this is? If God is Almighty and John is in the kingdom and even in Jesus, then why is he getting tribulated? Exiled to a desert island. Why is he getting tribulated? I mean, see, there's a problem that will need to be fixed by Left Behind movies 2,000 years later. (laughs) And it's a problem for us right now, right? Each and every day. So we say things like this. God has done his part. Now you have to do your part. Oh, yeah, he's almighty. But by that, we mean he's 99% mighty. And you are like 1% mighty. And obviously, you've, you've screwed up. But John said, the Almighty, the Pantocrator in Greek. Panto is all, Krator is power. It's really clear. He accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, writes Paul. And all the prophets of the Old Testament would say, Amen, Amen, and a, Amen. He never loses control, even when he surrenders control. He's in control. Even when we disobey, it's because He's consigned us to disobedience. Even when we took the fruit, it's only because He first made a tree, forgave us the the fruit, and put us in a garden with a talking snake. Even when we took His life on the cross, it was only because He first forgave His life on the cross, according to plan, such that what appears to be His greatest loss of control is the ultimate victory of His will. His word even when we dream evil dreams we are still God's dream well in the revelation there is never any questions of, of God's victory everywhere every when, and every how I, I know this is hard and it hurts your head to think about but there's never any question of whether or not God is in control There's also never any question of what the dragon will do. (laughs) And there's never any question about what the beast will do. Never any question about what the harlot will do. There's never any question about what the kings of the earth will do or whether or not there will be famines and plagues and earthquakes and hurricanes. They will all come according to plan. None of that is in question. The only question in the book of the Revelation is... You. Do you see how weird that is? That that means the action is not with the kings of the earth. That's what everybody writes the books about, about Revelation. But the action is is not with the kings of the earth. It's with you, a seemingly powerless, insignificant little church that is you. The dragon, the beast, the harlot, the kings of the earth, they have no choice. But it seems that God is giving us a choice. In, In the next two chapters, there's this call to conquer. And so this is the obvious this is the obvious question that comes up in the book who will conquer and how will they conquer? In Ephesus, will they return to their first love and conquer? In Smyrna, will they remain faithful unto death? Which is uh, to conquer, to remain faithful unto death. In Pergamum, how will they renounce idols and so conquer? In Sardis, will they wake from the dead and conquer? In Philadelphia, will they hold fast and conquer? In Thyatira, will they turn from immorality and conquer? In Laodicea, will they humble themselves and conquer? At first it sounds like God is saying, you have to try harder and do your part but that's not how we conquer verse 10 I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet in Scripture trumpets wake people up in the New Testament the trumpet wakes people from the dead I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud trumpet, or a voice like a trumpet, saying, a talking trumpet, write what you see. That's the vision. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Now, this is wild. But the part of the revelation that makes sense to us is not sent to us. And the part of the revelation that makes no sense to us and seems just like a ridiculous dream, that's the part that is sent to us. The part that seems practical to us is not sent to us. And the impractical, bizarre part is sent to us. The vision is sent to us, the church, and the assignment, what we are to do, is sent to the angel in each church. In the next two chapters, we'll read what people refer to as the letter to the seven churches. But the letters are not addressed to the seven churches. They're addressed to the angel, uh, the angels of the seven churches. The seven angels are seven stars that must shine like the sun from the seven lampstands that are the seven churches. I suspect that the seven angels are also the seven spirits of God that are the seven eyes of the lamb and we know that the lamb is the star man Revelation 22:16 I am the bright and morning star Got the picture? Cuz that's your job to get the picture the vision So the seven letters are addressed to the seven angels, the seven stars, and the vision is given to us, the seven lampstands. In the vision, we'll discover that there's only one that conquers, and he's the lamb. He is 100% mighty. He's almighty. So if we conquer, it must be his might in us. If we shine, it must be his light in us. If we choose, it must be God's goodwill at home in us and in the vision we then go on to discover that we do choose we do shine we do conquer john sees it in chapters 4 and 5 he sees the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne of god and he hears Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them worshipping. Worshipping the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb because he's conquered. He's ransomed men for God. That's what it says. That that means every creature, every creature, heard all creatures has conquered because their hearts have been conquered by the Lamb. They worship the Lamb because he is the ransom. He has ransomed all people for God. John sees God. God's dream, the eternal seventh day where everything 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 is good. John sees God's dream which is eternal reality. And then John sees how it happens in space and time. Chapter 6 to 22, he he sees the gospel according to Jesus. The lamb opens seven seals. John hears seven trumpets and seven thunders and watches seven bowls being poured out upon the earth. And then John sees the new Jerusalem coming down, uh, adorned as a bride for her husband. Her husband, Jesus, is the light, and she is filled with light. She's the lampstand, and he is the bright and morning star. Revelation 12:11. we conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He's the word of our testimony, and it's his blood that flows in our veins. He's the light in the lampstand that is us. Seven is a reference to the seven days of creation, which are the seven days of space and time. And in those series of sevens, we witness a lot of darkness, a lot of death, a lot of Hades, a lot of fear, that's not God's dream, and yet we are God's dream. Darkness, death, Hades, and fear, well, those are our dreams. They are the dream of our own sovereignty. They are our self-centered dreams in flatland. They are our dreams in space and time, and yet even our bad dreams exist inside of God's good dream. For we, the dreamers, are God's dream. God is so sovereign that he even arranges our bad dreams to reveal his good dream. He uses our Kim Jong-uns and Pontius Pilots and even our old sinful selves to reveal himself and our new selves. He uses our dark dreams to romance us into the light that shines in the darkness where we discover that no darkness can conquer the light, the star man. And the star man shines his light and transforms all our dark dreams into his dream. Just as Jesus, risen from the dead, transforms the greatest evil into the greatest good. So, darkness, death, Hades, and fear are the dream of our own sovereignty. We cannot conquer those dreams with more of the very same dreams. Can I say that again? Darkness, death, Hades, and fear are the dream or the dreams of our own sovereignty. We cannot conquer those dreams with more of the very same dreams we can only conquer those dreams by waking up about seven years ago i was having a really rough day at the time it had been about 10 years since i had preached on this very chapter in the revelation those 10 years have been really hard the more i preach god is salvation the more i seem to offend people that i think believe they were salvation i lost an awful lot of friends lost a lot of respect and i lost a lot of sleep wondering if i was a heretic or just plain nuts. That day I poured out my heart to God and and that day, unbeknownst to me, Susan was praying for me and that night she told me that she received a word from God for me. She wrote it down. This is what she heard. Peter, I am waking them up. My people have been asleep too long. Some will wake up easier than others. Some won't want to wake up at all but all will have to wake up eventually because I will cause them to have restless dreams. I will send others to help. You're not alone in this. Be glad that you are not asleep. Otherwise, there are many things that you would have missed along the way. Yes, you will get tired and you will be tempted to sleep. But in the end, your only rest is in me, Abba. We conquer by waking up. Verse 11, John hears the trumpet, saying, Write what you see and send it to the churches. Then verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice. See the voice, like a word. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice, His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Last time we noted that if you wake a person too quickly from a dream, you can give them a heart attack. And you know, when you wake a person from a dream, you better hope that they know who you are. I told you about a night back in 1987 when Susan and I were newly married. I came home unexpectedly uh, from from a long trip and from a great distance at a time that Susan did not anticipate. It was three in the morning. She was sound asleep. She was dreaming her own dreams. We're entirely sovereign in our own dreams. Our dreams and our dreams are in complete control, even though that control Is an illusion. I have been driving all night because of a crisis in my friend's marriage. I I dropped my friend Dave off at his home, and then I went home to to my young new bride. I I would be entering like a thief in the night, but I wasn't a thief in the night. I'm her husband. I tried not to startle her, but trying not to startle a person at 3 in the morning makes you seem all that much more like a thief in, in the night. I remember thinking this to myself in that moment. I remember thinking, if only I could enter her dreams. I mean, imagine that. Can a person do that? If only I could enter her dreams and tell her, honey, honey, I'm coming home like a thief in the night. But I'm not a thief in the night. I'm your husband. And you're about to wake up. I worked the lock, the key in the door made a sound or something, and then I heard a voice of absolute terror coming from the other room. Is somebody, is somebody there? Is somebody there? Who is it? Oh my God! Oh my God, who is it? And in that moment, I knew that my bride believed that whoever had opened that door and wakened her from her dreams was in absolute control and would most likely rape her. Waking from a dream is waking from the illusion of sovereignty. Rape is stolen sovereignty. God will mess with your dreams. God will arrange for the destruction even of your city and even your temple, but uh, just in order to waken you from your illusions. God will mess with your dreams to waken you from your illusions, but God will not rape you. Is somebody there? Oh, my God, oh, my God, who is it? And I called out as quickly as I could, it's me, it's me, it's me, honey, it's me.
0: I love you.
1: And she knew my voice. She knew me. And I knew her. She's my dream. And I'm her star man. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his face as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Right therefore the things that you have seen, uh, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I, I love this scene. The star man walks up to John and touches him at hand, just like he did twice to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament, because he appeared to Daniel in the very same way, walked up to him, touched him, and said, O man deeply loved, beloved, fear not, John referred to himself as the beloved. Jesus touched him. John knew him. In fact, this had happened once before. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus starts shining like the sun. The guy's drop to the ground. Jesus walks up to him, and he, and he touches them, touches them. Now Jesus touches John with his right hand, the hand that held the seven stars. He touched him. He touched him as if to say, John, 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 John. You know me. You laid your head on my chest at the supper. Remember, you know me. John, we used to go fishing together. John, it's Jesus. It's me. It's Jesus. Jesus, your best friend. It's me, Jesus, your best friend. And oh yeah, John. I am the Almighty. Do you see why it's so important that you get to know Jesus now? In 1 John 2, John writes this, and now little children abide in him. Abide in him. We'll talk more about what that looks like next week. Now little children abide him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You know, those that refuse to wake up to Jesus only run and hide themselves deeper in hell, in Hades. Well, anyway, after imagining that it was not me, Susan was so glad that it was me that she gladly surrendered her dreams, her sovereignty, her unveiled temple to me. She got pregnant. She gave birth to life, my life, in her and through her. She became fruitful and multiplied, not by seizing control, but by surrendering control. Like a dancer surrenders to the logos, the rhythm of, uh, of a dance. And now listen closely, Bride of Christ. I do not mean to be crass. People think I'm being crass when I say things like this. I mean to point out just how it is that we conquer. We conquer by being conquered. By love. We conquer by waking up to the star man. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Blah, blah, blah. And he told me, let the children lose it, let the children use it, let all the children boogie. I have no idea what David Bowie was thinking, but I do think he was tapping into something pretty profound. In order to conquer, we have to become like children. You know, it's much easier for children to surrender their dreams of sovereignty, and it's much easier for children to dance. Children live in the now. Now is where we surrender and start to dance. Let the children lose it. Lose control. Let the children use it or maybe be used by it. Let all the children boogie. When children surrender to a song, what do they do? They just start to sing. When they surrender to music, what do they do? They just start to dance. In freedom, they start to dance. I think Jesus would like us to sing and dance. He'd like us to join the song that John saw in chapters 4 and 5. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them, singing and dancing at the sight of the land on the throne when we dance to his rhythm we become his body his dancing body his will becomes our will and yet We are absolutely free. His dream becomes our dream, and that dream is reality. He is the dreamer, and it's our choice, a choice that's been given to us. He is the dreamer, and it's our choice to always be his dream. He's the king, and we rejoice that he is always at hand. So one day... You will hear a voice like a trumpet. And you will turn to see the word that you heard, and you will see the Star Man. And you will suddenly realize that you only exist because the Star Man constantly dreams you into existence. At that moment, it is absolutely critical for you to know that the Starman is your best friend, Jesus." So on the night that he was betrayed, in the very depths of our darkest dream, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. You're about to wake up. But let's surrender to the star man right now. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, we have suspected that someone is at the controls of the universe. We have suspected that there is a star man, so we even write songs about it. Oh, God, thank you that when we see Jesus, we see you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the star man. To you, and now you just say this after me. To you, I surrender my mind. You can say that quietly in your heart. To you, I surrender my body. To you, I surrender my heart. To you, I surrender my soul. To you, I surrender the lampstand. Be the light in my lampstand. Be the spirit that inhabits my temple. You are my savior, and you are my Lord. Now in case you're thinking to yourself, well those are nice words, and I sure wish they were true. But I watched CNN this morning they're worried about people not getting enough to in Puerto Rico to eat, and there are famines and wars. The kings of the earth threatening to nuke each other, and storms. There's storms, and so this world that just seems like seems like a bad dream, right? So read the Revelation. Read the vision, and, and I know what people say. Well, I read it, and it freaks me out, because, well, there's famines, and I read about storms and earthquakes and the kings of the earth going uh, to war with each other, and I worry that that might happen. Well, don't you see it is happening right now? But read the revelation. Read the vision. Keep reading it until you realize that it's a story of how God conquers. You see, God conquers the whole... God-damned thing with a slaughtered lamb who makes it all a God-blessed thing, and you are already awake and beginning to see. Blessed are you who read aloud the words of the vision and hear the prophecy. Jesus wins. He always wins. For he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and your friend. Believe the gospel in his name. Amen.